we are not talking about somehow abstract figures. Uh, these are real human beings who've had real impact, not only potentially globally, but for us, you know, individually one-on-one. -on -one. And so to be a part of an effort that honors them is just uh, priceless. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voices of Vision Leaders podcast. I'm Dominic Loricella, standing in for Lee Nasahi, and today's guests are three members of the Hall of Fame Governing Board. Chairman Bill Weiner, immediate past chair Jim Deremek, and new board member Mark Riker. Lee Nasahi is also a member of the Hall of Fame Board and wanted to share information about it with all you listeners so you can help spread the word to your colleagues and consider nominating an exceptional leader in the next few weeks. Gentlemen, let's start with some introductions and why you're involved on the Board Hall of Fame. Bill, let's start with you. Okay, well, you know, as you said, I'm my name is Bill Weiner, and I am the chair of the current uh, Board of Governors of the Hall of Fame. And I also work at North Carolina Central University. And I have been interested in, in the history for a very long time of leaders within our field. And I am really into this because I want to preserve those leaders, I want to honor them. And I want to be able to share actually with a number of my students who I teach at the university as much as I can about the leaders and have a resource for them to turn to when they want to find out more. And so for me, it, it's really putting into place a mechanism that we can share with our entire field so that we don't lose the memory of those that contributed so much to our field. How about you, Jim? Hello, it's Jim Deremick, and thank you for taking the time to allow us to share this information with the uh, listeners for this podcast. Like Bill, I have a strong interest in the history of the field. I was fortunate enough to join the field with some of the folks that are currently members of the Hall of Fame that have been inducted. Max Woolley, who was my first employer at the Arkansas School for the Blind, was a very strong proponent of professional involvement, and I had the good fortune every year to go at the time, which was AEVH and AEWB meetings, where the school had strong representation at the meetings. At these meetings, we would get to meet a lot of the leaders and the legends of the current Hall of Fame. Uh, as the career progressed and had other opportunities, I moved on to uh, Maryland at the Maryland School for the Blind, uh, where I got to work for Rick Welsh and Greater Baltimore Medical Center with Dr. Richard Hoover. Again, two more inductees into the Hall of Fame that helped shape a lot of the history and posterity. I too want to see our history preserved and educate the next generation of providers to where our field has been, where it is currently, and hopefully where it'll go. Because if we don't have an appreciation for what some of the legend and pioneers did, we're going to lose some rich, valuable information. So hopefully the whole preserved that next generation to come. Thank you. And Mark? Hello everyone, Mark Reichert here, uh, currently serving professionally as the head of the international programs at the Overbrook School for the Blind headquartered in Philadelphia. And for a number of years over the course of my career, worked for our professional association in the blindness field, AER. I hope all the listeners know precisely what I'm talking about. Uh, worked for many years at the American Foundation for the Blind and other groups doing public policy work, including for a stint, not that recently, uh, not that long ago, uh, with Vision Serve Alliance, uh, helping lead the public policy efforts there. And uh, so proud uh, to have been invited to participate in the Hall of Fame as a board member 
uh, Bill and Jim are right. The, the, the Hall of Fame is critical to preserving the, the, the legend and the leadership of folk uh, who have meant so much to all of us. Uh, but I will say that as a, a brand new board member uh, in its own way, um, it's such an honor for me to be part of the board because a number of folks who have over the course of time, including now, including these two gentlemen, uh, uh, you know, I would consider these folks not only good friends and colleagues, but also folks in their own way who have so ably contributed mightily to our field. So it's a it's a pleasure to serve in this capacity and also to help promote and preserve uh, the work of our past and present colleagues. All right, let's get into some questions about the Hall of Fame. Jim, what can you tell me about what the Hall of Fame is and what's its mission? The Hall of Fame is a voluntary project of the blindness field. It's a project totally run uh, voluntarily. It's self-sustaining by volunteer members who are not compensated for their efforts. And we'll get more into the administrative structure. But it's important to realize it's a project of the field and it's only as good as the volunteer and the efforts of volunteers such as the governing board that represent it currently. The mission we've kind of alluded to in our introductions is to preserve and to recognize the history of our field. And we do that through a number of different ways. Every year we have the induction of the Hall of Fame through nominations that have submitted and recognition of other individuals that we hope to have honored through the World Tribute in the Hall of Fame. So hopefully this gives a little bit of a, a background of what the Hall of Fame is and what the intent of it is. Bill, how did the Hall of Fame originate? Well, that's an interesting question and really goes back into our history a bit. The hall came to be after a presentation that was given at an AER conference in, in 2000. Um, and at that conference, Mike Nelipovich, um, Rod Kosick, and John Maxson uh, gave a presentation which they called the, the Pioneers and the Heroes of the Field. And that really piqued everyone's interest. Everybody really appreciated knowing the history of those that came before us. And then there was a follow-up presentation that was given at uh, the Wisconsin conference, AER conference by Dean Tuttle. And at that conference, he further talked about the heroes and the legends. And because of the extreme interest on the part of the members at both of those conferences, it was decided that a, a committee would be formed. And the committee was, was basically an international committee. The United States and Canada had representatives and they worked together to develop the guidelines for the hall. Uh, and um, it was really based on the general interest that came from these presentations. So, you know, I would say that we really have to credit Nelipovich, Kasich, Maxson, and Tuttle as being the founders of our Hall of Fame. But I think as Jim has said, it is really the field that has kept it moving and has made it what it is today. Jim, do you wanna go into where the hall is housed? Absolutely. The field is very uh, collaborative in its efforts to preserve the history. And this is a good example of it. The Hall of Fame is physically located at the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky. I say that because one of the misinterpretations of the Hall of Fame is that it's the American Printing House Hall of Fame. 
It's the Fields Hall of Fame, as I mentioned earlier, but through the efforts and goodwill and in-kind donation of APH, Tuck Tinsley, the former director, allowed the hall to be located physically within the American Printing House for the Blind. We were fortunate also to be able to tie on and piggyback onto the annual meeting of APH in October to allow to have the induction. So many people, when they hear about the hall, they think it's APHs. Um, it, it is in a sense of the physical location of it, but as I mentioned earlier, it's its own entity, it's self-supporting, but it is physically located in Louisville, Kentucky within APH and special recognition and thanks needs to go to Tuck Tinsley who allowed and set a memorandum of understanding uh, previous to his retirement for 10 years to allow the hall to be located there. Craig Metters, his successor has followed on this intent and commitment to the hall by ensuring that its sustainability stays at APH. So Louisville, Kentucky is the physical location of the hall. And how is the hall governed? Well, the hall, has a nine member board of governors and each member of that board serves a term of two years and they they can be re-elected once after their term is over before they have to leave the board and of those nine members it has a chair it has a vice chair uh, it has a secretary it has a, a treasurer and of course the previous chair along with regular um, members. And I would say the, the board meets, oh, four or five times per year. And it looks at the progress that's been made in terms of nominations that are being generated and received by the board. And eventually when the nominations close, which is generally uh, the end of, um, of April, uh, the board gets together and they read through all of those nominations, they discuss all of the members, and they select the inductee. Or in, on occasion, it's been two inductees, but typically it's one. Who are the current board of governors? Current board of governors, and Bill, just follow me, make sure I make sure I don't leave anyone off. Currently, is Bill Weiner, who is the chair. You Mike, Mike Bina, who would be the vice chair. Bernadette Kappen is serving as the secretary. Justin Gardner is the uh, current treasurer. Carol Farenkopf is the Canadian representative right now. Julie Halpern is a board member at large, along with Mark Reichert and Bob Brasher. I'm leaving someone off here. The past chair would be myself. And who am I leaving off, Bill? You're leaving off Lee. Lee, how could I do that? I'm reading right under <laughs> her name, skipping over it. How convenient, yes. How are the inductees honored each year? Each year at the annual meeting of APH, there's an award ceremony that takes place. And at that ceremony, uh, the nominator uh, really provides information on what contributions the individual has made to the field. And uh, whenever possible, if, uh, if this can be done, family members are invited to also be present. And it's really quite a, a festive occasion. Uh, I've been there many times and I just love seeing the expression on everybody's faces as these people are honored. Uh, unfortunately for the past couple of years because of COVID, uh, it's had to be virtual. 
But, you know, that's had its advantages as well, because many people who otherwise couldn't attend, you know, can attend when it is virtual. And I guess if I had to, if I had to guess, I think probably in the future, it'll be a combination of maybe impersonal as well as being virtual. Now, I know you said there's either one or two inductees per year. How many are there total and how did the first group get included? Currently, there are 68 inductees in the Hall of Fame. And to initiate it and to get the process started, going back to Bill's answer on the history, the original group were 32 when they initially began. But the highlight of those 32 was back in 2002 when they met in person to officially kick this off uh, in in-person meeting at the annual meeting of the American Printing House. Phil Hatland chaired it. He gave short vignettes and of the 11 living legends at the time, 10 were able to actually attend in person. Uh, the impact and the history of that initial meeting was very memorable and was recorded and can be viewed, which is quite a history lesson in itself on the Hall of Fame website. So I strongly encourage people to go back and to, uh, to view that and see historically how each year additional members have been selected to the board and what the current uh, composition is. Who were the first group of inductees and what was that meeting like? Well, there were very prominent individuals that were inducted in that group. Um, you know, as I recall, uh, Cleo Dolan was there, um, Ruth Carlello, Stanley Saturko, Don Blosh. I can't remember everyone, but it was really an event where a lot of the originators in our field were present. And oftentimes you don't have the opportunity of getting individuals like that together. And just knowing that they did so much for our field and we were able to honor them, uh, it, it just made the day an outstanding day in everybody's memory. Now, who are some of the more prominent inductees over the Hall of Fame's history? Well, let me follow that up as well. Um, there are so many, there are probably, you know, close to 70 people that have been inducted, but let me just give you a few names that are so prominent that everybody will know them. And let me start off with Helen Keller, um, Samuel Gridley Howe, Georgia Lee Abel, um, Sir Francis Campbell, uh, Father Tom Carroll, um, Euclid Harry, Ken Jernigan, uh, Robert Irwin, Berthold Lowenfeld, and that's just to name a few. These are the prominent leaders, the people that have done so much in our field that have really made the field what it is today. And what are some of the requirements to get into the Hall of Fame? What have previous inductees done? Uh, and what uh, can people look for for future inductees for who they might nominate? Requirements are pretty simple in terms of the eligibility to be nominated. Uh, when the hall was created, it has a unique geographic definition of who's to be included. It is North America, uh, which is somewhat restricting when you look at some of these folks, because as Bill mentioned, some of the individuals there uh, were born in the States and made some contributions in Europe and vice versa. So geographic location is the one eligibility. The second is that the individual must be removed five years from active service in the area where they made their impact. 
So we bring this up because one of the issues that has come up on a number of occasions is when we've lost one of our uh, major personalities due to a sudden unloss through death and there's been an effort tried to get them uh, inducted into the hall. Uh, where the current bylaws stand is many of these have succeeded, but it's been a five year uh, period in order to put that nomination forward. Then all nominations are online and they will be accepted with three letters of reference. Again, online is the first three letters in case there are more than three letters submitted. It's a pretty comprehensive package that we're looking for. We want a letter of nomination that really spells out exactly what they've done over their career and how it's enhanced the lives of people who are visually impaired. And uh, in addition to that, the three letters of support amplify that and, and give further information on, on what they've really contributed. And uh, oftentimes those letters of support can be emailed to Mike Hudson, who is the curator. And uh, his email address is mhudson at aph.org. It, it's also possible to mail that information to him, but we really prefer everything to be electronic as much as possible. All right, so now I want to pivot a little bit. Um, the Hall of Fame has this wall of tribute. What is that? The wall of tribute is a part of the Hall of Fame. It's physically located and it's columns that surround the perimeter of the hall currently where it's located at APH in the uh, old original building. The World Tribute is made up of five different size stones of varying amounts of um, donations for each stone. The intent of the World Tribute is one of the sources of income to sustain the Hall of Fame. Right now, the Hall of Fame basically exist through donations of interested folks uh, in the Hall of Fame, through contributions that are sponsors for the boss relief plaques of individuals inducted into the hall. And the primary source of revenue comes from uh, these stones on the wall tribute. You go through the hall and if you're to go through and read, there's many a name that will bring back some type of memory of a mentor, a family member, someone that's had an impact on an individual's life within the current field. So again, uh, there are many columns as you go through the, uh, the Hall of Fame with the World Tribute. So it is a way of honoring people that have had a special impact on a service provider and preserving their name and memory you know, within the Hall. And finally, I've got one last question for each of you. What does the Hall of Fame mean to you? How did all of you get involved in it? And uh, what does it mean to you on a personal level or something greater than that? So I've, I've been in the blindness field one degree or another in various capacities, really since the early 1990s, uh, which <clears throat> when you're about to turn 53 uh, this summer sounds like a heck of a long time. But in, in this field, uh, the longevity of careers is just impressive and the loyalty that people uh, bring to this field by being in it, uh, sometimes for four, sometimes even five decades, potentially. Uh, it's just astounding. But you know, when you're a new person uh, coming into the field, uh, there's a lot of names, uh, whether they are alive or they're gone. Uh, there are a lot of names out there. You know that they are pretty impressive people. After all, you're <clears throat> living essentially off their amazing work. <clears throat> and some names appear you know, more frequently than others. And so you kind of come to really do perceive them as 
legends, uh, living or past. And, uh, and that's a lovely thing. But it, it takes on a whole different experience, uh, a whole different meaning as you stay in the field and get to know uh, folks who, who aren't uh, mere abstractions, right? These great names, uh, even if you meet them uh, at conferences, they, you know, they, they, even, no matter how friendly they are, <laughs> uh, they may very well feel a little aloof uh, to you as the newer person. But of course, as you stick with the field over the course of time, you get to know some of these folks. Uh, you might actually get to partner with them uh, you might get to uh, get into some serious, very professional always, but lively debates uh, with them and roll up your sleeves uh, to get some things done uh, for kids, adults, and older folk uh, who are blind and visually impaired. And that's a, that's a lovely thing. So I'll just use one example. I, I, you know, I hear, heard, Bill, in your voice, that hesitance of, gee whiz, can you, you know, talk about who some of the more prominent members are? I mean, that's like, suggesting and for some of us what's our favorite music or our favorite band or our favorite book uh, because good grief how do you choose them but for me this is a perfect illustration so uh, Susan Spungen uh, who worked for many many years uh, with the American Foundation for the Blind was a leader in so many ways internationally for sure in the education of blind and visually impaired kids and youth um, she <laughs> was a colleague of mine when I worked for many years at the American Foundation for the Blind. And in her own way, you know, she might not see it this way because she would be too, what, gracious uh, to put it this way. But for sure, she was a mentor to me as she was to so many other people, if in no other, uh, for no other reason than just her, her professional example. Uh, and so, of course, when I first started off in the field, I mean, she was sort of the grand lady in, at AFB and in some ways in the, in the blindness field, particularly around education. I mean, she shares that role with others, but certainly no one less uh, than her playing that role. And that's wonderful. And, you know, she was kind of intimidating to me uh, at the beginning. But of course, over time, you get to know them and work with them. So now fast forward in my little story here to 2001, when our professional association, AER, invited me to be, uh, to serve as their executive director uh, for the first time. Uh, and uh, we uh, Susan and I, uh, it hadn't been announced to the world as yet. We were announcing, I think, that, that day when in October of 2001, uh, Susan and I had actually gone out for, for dinner, just the two of us, which was an honor for me. Because, uh, gee whiz, I had Susan all to myself. Uh, what a golden opportunity. Um, and I just happened to mention to her, yeah, so you know, we're, we, we've just announced today that I'm going to be the new AER executive director. And you know, she just puts down her fork and her knife and Mark, that's wonderful. Congratulations. And she says, you know, hey, you know, after the opening session at APH uh, tomorrow, let's, let's connect up. And I want to, you know, I'll introduce you around. And of course, I was thinking, well, gee whiz, uh, of course, that's a nice, gracious thing to say. Um, and, you know, that's, that's nice. But yeah, it'll be what it will be. No, I was mistaken. Because when we did connect the next day at APH, she literally, essentially, <laughs> literally, if not figuratively, you know, took me under her wing as it were, and we spent probably 90 minutes wandering around and here's Dr. Susan J. Spungen introducing this kid around to other <laughs> legendary people. The one that stands out most that evening is Phil Hatlin, interestingly enough, but wow, it's, you know, dozens of people that we met. So that's just a, a, an example of how someone who could be such a 
oh gosh, you know, on Mount Olympus kind of figure, you know, is a very real person uh, who also plays that role of being a mentor uh, and guide to those of us who are, you know, newer in, in the field. And so when I, you know, to, to wrap this up, when I think about what does the Hall of Fame mean to me, uh, these are not people who merely, if I can put it that way, are legendary professionals and thinkers, ideas people, doers, uh, who are, you know, in some uh, you know, mountaintop someplace. These are, these are, are and were flesh and blood humans uh, that are really personally important to so many of us. And so to have an opportunity to be part of this effort that honors not only the history, but, you know, of the field, but frankly, sometimes our own uh, experience in the field is, uh, is a real, oh gosh, the only phrase that's in my mind right now, guys, is humanizing. It's a, it's a, this is not a remote thing. Um, We're not talking about somehow abstract figures. Uh, these are real human beings who've had real impact, not only potentially globally, but for us, you know, individually one-on-one. -on -one. And so to be part of an effort that honors them is just uh, priceless. To me, I think it's similar in a lot of ways to what Mark was saying. It has a dual purpose. It, it, it's really for the field, but it's also for me personally. I don't want the field to ever forget the individuals who have given so much of their lives and have made such a difference in the lives of other people. And so for me, I want to make sure that we preserve what they've done and that future generations, you know, will be exposed to what they've done and will understand just exactly the obstacles they've overcome and how the field has become what it currently has been. But in addition to that, it's, it's very personal to me. Um, my own particular background is orientation and mobility. And orientation and mobility really is a very young field. I mean, it really began after World War II and you know, really got going in the early 1960s. And being that young a profession, I've had an opportunity of having contact with a lot of the pioneers. And it's meant a lot to me to see those pioneers uh, be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, for example, uh, people who've touched my life. When, when I started, uh, I was working actually as a paraprofessional while I was in college. Uh, I went through a co-op program where I would work one semester and go to school one semester. And in one of my placements uh, during, I think, my junior year, maybe it was my senior year, uh, I had a placement at the Cleveland Society for the Blind. And uh, it was at that agency that I decided this is the field for me. And one of the people who really helped me make that decision was Cleo Dolan, who was the executive director. And he is, you know, was a, a giant in the field and is in the Hall of Fame. And then when I decided to go on to school and to study orientation and mobility, uh, my professors are really in the Hall of Fame at this point. I, I learned Braille from Ruth Carlella. Uh, I learned orientation mobility from, from Stanley Saturko.
Uh, I teach a course right now called uh, Psychosocial Implications of Blindness and Visual Impairment. And I took that course from Donald Blush. All three of those people are in the Hall of Fame. And of course, the person who really did so much for orientation and mobility was Richard Hoover, who invented um, much of what we teach today. And I had the opportunity early on in my career of working with him on the NAC standards and to see that he also is a member of the Hall of Fame has meant so much to me. And then later on in my career as a president of AER, I had the opportunity, opportunity of working with Ken Jernigan. And while I always, I didn't always see eye to eye in what uh, we were talking about, I learned a lot from him in the process. And to have someone like that in the field means a lot to me, in the Hall of Fame means a lot to me as well. And so many people that have meant a lot to me in my life are now in the Hall of Fame. Mark mentioned Susan Spongen, and oh my gosh, what a leader in our field. She did so much uh, for students with visual impairment. And Rick Welsh, who was my teaching partner for years at Cleveland State, and really the individual who made AER possible, yeah. to see him in the Hall of Fame makes, you know, such, brings back such memories for me. And there are so many others that have formed the knowledge base, you know, from which I practice today that are in that hall. So it is so meaningful to me to be a part of that now and to be able to move it forward and, and to help adding new people who are continually doing so much for our field. Well, I guess I echo the sentiments of Mark and Bill. Uh, luckily, as a new young professional in the field in the early 70s, I had the good fortune, similar to you know, my colleagues here, of meeting some of these future Hall of Famers. You know, Max Willie was the era where you did what he told you, not what you thought. And in the <laughs> end, looking back, it probably was a very good move. AER didn't exist. Uh, he would, you know, get you together and tell you who you're going to vote for professional organizations and the rest <laughs> is history. Uh, likewise, as you go through the list, Bill alluded to Richard Hoover. I had the good fortune to work with him at GBMC. Very simple, humble individual, but like many of the people in the hall, uh, the truth of their impact was in what they left us. And I just find history very intriguing. I find visiting the hall personally, um, you know, a, a method of going back and reinstilling, reinvigorating your professional commitment when you go to visit. See the boss relief plaques, read the names, the people you've met personally, the wool tribute. It's got a special place uh, in in my inner being. And I think a lot of the people that have had the opportunity to visit that. So uh, what it means to me, it's a place to go to recollect, to reflect, to re-energize. And I hope that as we go back to in-person meetings, I have the opportunity to continue my annual trip to uh, APH for the annual meeting to be part of the annual induction meeting of the Hall of Fame for Leaders and Legends of the Blindness Field. Let me just say that we're always looking for new nominations. And probably the people that are listening to this podcast know of someone who's contributed greatly to our field or to their organization or to research or in some capacity has really helped develop the field. And I would encourage anyone who has the thought of honoring someone who has been 
retired or at least away from their their main organization for five years or more to please nominate that person and to help us to preserve the memory of what they've contributed. Bill, Jim, Mark, on behalf of Lee Nasahi, thank you for joining us today to talk about these remarkable legends and the Hall of Fame. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us. If you would like to nominate an individual for the Hall of Fame, go to sites.aph.org forward slash hall forward slash nominate. Thanks again, everyone.